Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I don't get to watch a lot of television, but I try to watch a little bit, sometimes kind of relax and sort of slow my brain down for a minute or two. Many of you are probably the same way. And what I typically do is I kind of have one show that I sort of stick with and like the one show that I sort of watch and kind of watch it through completion. You know, we've got binge watch, whatever else. I don't ever get to quite watch enough episodes of a show at a time, but kind of consider it a binge watch. I'm more of like a little fragment watch, a little bit here and there along the way. I recently finished up the series Succession on HBO. Do you know what that is? But a very rich family. And there's a scene in the most recent season where the daughter gives her very very rich elderly father a book and the book has pictures of all the houses they've owned over the course of years very rich family of course owned a bunch of houses and the dad basically doesn't even realize these are pictures of homes they've owned and so the daughter in kind of a snarky way says wow dad you really don't like talking about the past do you and i was thinking about that for some reason this week as it relates to kirby smart because I think you can look at Kirby sometimes in this sort of public persona, the way that he projects himself publicly. And I think you'd be left to conclude, wow, when it comes to publicly, when it comes to the media and maybe even addressing the fans through the media, there are moments in which Kirby Smart really does not like talking about the past. And obviously, we have an opportunity this Saturday to look back on the recent past for Kirby Smart, because you may not be aware of this. Perhaps many of you are. Saturday is the 100th game that Kirby Smart has coached. Uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs it's a remarkable thing and yet this week going back to yesterday the SEC every week all the media get on a teleconference like a zoom call type thing and talk to the various coaches and on that SEC teleconference this week Kirby Smart was asked about coaching in his 100th game and in keeping with a guy that does not really enjoy talking about the past very much Smart wasn't all that interested in talking about this either let me show you the quote from Smart essentially downplaying the whole idea he says, it's a marker of some sort, the first 100. I don't know the significance of it outside of that. I wasn't aware of that. It's one of those things that if you do a good job and you recruit good players and have good organization and good support that allows you to make it to that number and certainly want to go out and play our, our best game at that mark. So basically, he said, all I'm worried about is playing a good game against UAB, essentially downplaying the entire idea of a 100th game and being customarily kind of modest about this citing having good players and good organization around him things like that that's kind of what Kirby Smart does but in terms of reflecting on gosh imagine where we were way back in 2016 when this all got started Smart just does not like doing those kinds of things but whether Smart wants to or not the 100th game for him is worth discussing and frankly to give you a quick aside here for a moment this I think at times can kind of be the role of the sports media sometimes people wonder why do we have so much sports media and what job do they actually do well I don't know in some cases exactly what we all do necessarily but one of the things that I do know that sports media can do well is chronicle the history that we see playing out in front of us because oftentimes those who are making history they don't like stopping in the midst of making it to reflect on the history that they're making and perhaps taking time to think about that might make them too self-aware it might slow them down and all of a sudden they're not quite on the same historic trajectory they were on there's at least a possibility that's true so you know guys like me loudmouths who shout into a microphone sometimes taking a moment to say hey 
what we're watching play out is truly historic sometimes that's probably what the job requires here and it's not just me doing that this week sec network did this as well they put out a graphic on their sec now or whatever the show's called uh their show this week that i think you got to see to believe this is truly amazing so kirby smart through 99 games at georgia thus far is 84 and 15 as a coach now you compare that to the first 100 uh you know games coaching the sec for bear Bryant at alabama he was 81 12 and 7 we had ties back then nick saban in alabama 84 and 16 steve spurrier at florida 83 16 and 1 philip fulmer at tennessee 83 and 17 in his first 100 games as tennessee coach now what's amazing about this is smart by winning on saturday which we obviously believe he's going to do can have a better record through his first 100 at Georgia than Nick Saban had at his first 100 at at Alabama and better records than Bear Bryant, Steve Spurrier, and Philip Fulmer. That's amazing in its own right. But what makes it even more amazing is is that Smart was a rookie head coach when he first took this job. Right now, Nick Saban has the high-water mark in terms of his first 100 games as a coach in the SEC. But by the time that Nick Saban became a coach in the SEC, he had been a head coach for far longer than that, right? His experience at Alabama, you know, before that, head coach of the Miami Dolphins, had a stint at LSU. Before that, Michigan State was head coach prior to that there as well. Nick Saban was a veteran head coach when he arrived at Alabama. Kirby Smart was a brand-new, fresh rookie, and he's had the success that he's had as quickly as he's had it it is possibly true that Kirby Smart is well on his way when you see him compared to the likes of Bear Bryant Steve Spurrier and Nick Saban it is quite possible that Kirby Smart is well on his way to being I mean let's just say it out loud there is a chance when it's all said and done Kirby Smart's the greatest coach of all time that is very much within his grasp very much within his reach that is very much the kind of career he could be putting together the first 100 games of his coaching career certainly tell that story now on the tv show where that graphic was shown here this week one of the analysts on the program takio spikes the former auburn tiger and by the way a former high school teammate of terrence edwards who will join us here a little bit later on takio spikes talked about what he thinks it is that makes kirby smart so great Uh, this is what takio spikes said ultimately for me it's the ability to not rest on your laurels and just inflict pain and will consistently throughout the day and that comes back with the win and we've seen that right that's what kirby smart is about it's the tenacity to keep competing keep fighting and keep pushing and not stopping to say hey look what we did it's always about hey look here's what needs to be done next the phrase that smart made famous win what's important now well it seems like what's important now to smart is never the past that's not what he enjoys talking about but here's my hope even if he doesn't want to speak about this in SEC teleconferences and doesn't want to speak about this directly to the fans, even if he wants to be more forward-looking, privately, I hope he does take a moment to appreciate just how amazing these last few years have been for him. And I hope he appreciates the fact that, gosh, you know, this is not guaranteed for anybody, that he is living a remarkable life right now. I hope he takes time to appreciate that. And whether he does or not, I hope we all do there as well. Those of us who are Georgia fans, We've been given an incredible gift of some incredibly fun, entertaining football. It's really exciting to think that the best could still be yet to come. But for us who are kind of maybe more able to look back on the recent past here, the story tells itself. 
the Bear Bryants, the Kirby Smarts, the the Nick Sabans, the Steve Spurriers, they are all mentioned in the same sentence here right now. And yet Smart far younger than those guys were, far less experienced when he first got started here at Georgia, and perhaps on a trajectory that leads him to a level of accomplishment that far surpasses any of those guys there as well. All right, let me shift gears to something else here just for a moment. Yesterday on our program, we talked about the really cool, speaking of the SEC Network, the really cool video that the SEC Network put out of the halftime moment for Georgia against South Carolina. And it's amazing to me just how much chatter this has generated among Georgia fans. We knew it was good. We knew it was cool. But it seems to have kind of a viral quality that's even, I think, deeper than that. And I kind of want to explain what I think the ultimate result of this video might be. But as a way of getting there, let me kind of build to it this way, if you don't mind. Yesterday, on a completely different note, if you care about the NFL and if you follow the NFL, the most important story in the NFL yesterday were some very intriguing comments by Chicago Bears quarterback Justin Fields. Now, for the moment here, I don't want Fields' mention on this show to be like a relitigation of his time here in Georgia or what happened after that. that. That's not really what I'm interested in right now. I'm sort of only interested in Justin Fields as an NFL starting quarterback and Fields explanation yesterday that he wasn't happy with his current level of play for a very specific reason. Fields talked about this. Everyone around the NFL is talking about what Fields had to say. Let me let you hear it. And then I want to make a point about Georgia off what Justin says. I felt like, you know, I wasn't necessarily playing my game. I felt like I was kind of robotic and not just playing like myself. My goal this week is just to go out there and play football how I know how to play football that includes uh, thinking less and just going out there and playing off of instincts rather than just you know, so much so to say info in my head data in my head and literally just going out there playing football because that's when you know I play my best is when I'm just out there playing free and uh, being myself Fields went on in that uh, same clip to blame his coaches for being as he says too robotic I have no idea if that's true or not and I frankly don't care but when it comes to the idea of an athlete being robotic, we all have kind of an idea of what that means. If you play golf, you don't want a super mechanical swing. If you do anything athletically or if you ever give like a speech at like a rotary club or something like that, you don't want to be really stiff and robotic. We are, we are not athletic the way that Justin Fields is, but we all have an understanding that there is something about being too stiff, too tight, too tense in life not kind of living in the moment and being in the flow, being in the zone as the sports phrase had, that it's existed for decades has kind of been. We kind of know what being too stiff and too robotic feels like. And no matter what we're endeavoring to do, being too robotic is just not a good way to succeed. Justin Fields says, I'm frustrated with my level of play right now because I feel like I'm being too too robotic. And when I heard Justin Fields say that yesterday, it actually kind of reminded me of something that Jake Fromm said on our show yesterday morning about Georgia's current quarterback, Carson Beck, and the work that Georgia's currently doing right now, unrelated to the Fields thing, this is just the Fields thing reminded me of this, unrelated to the Fields thing, the, the work that Georgia's doing to prevent Carson Beck from having the kind of robotic, stiff, mechanical feeling that Justin Fields says that he's suffering through right now. I thought Jake Fromm had some interesting insight into how George is helping Carson Beck kind of go out there and be in the moment and just sort of live and play and be relaxed. I think this is good stuff from Jake Fromm. It's the kind of thing you only get from a guy who knows what it feels like to have been in this spot before. This is what Jake said on our show yesterday. It's tough when you are the quarterback at the University of Georgia. 
all eyes are on you. Everybody's waiting on you to, to go and make a play and take this team to the quote-unquote promised land and, and win another national championship. That's the goal. That's the expectation. I and mean, that's how the standard that they've built there at Georgia. There's a lot of weight on your shoulders. But I think what you kind of see them trying to do through the offensive plan is try to take a little bit off his plate and just let him play kind of free and easy and to just let him go complete balls. What Jake says there at the end of that clip, they're trying to help – Carson Beck right now being free and easy and go out there and just complete balls I think that's an important statement because of a couple of things a Kirby Smart has told us many times that Carson's natural demeanor off the field is very relaxed he's very cool he doesn't get too up doesn't get too down we've heard Kirby Smart say that plenty Carson Beck himself has said that on the field a little bit this season he's been kind of nervous he, he mentioned that before his first start he was good enough to be candid about that so what we have here is a little bit of a conflict as it relates to Beck a relaxed demeanor off the field, perhaps not as relaxed yet on the field as he is in other walks of life. And what Jake Fromm, who knows the quarterback position, says, it looks to him like Georgia's trying to play in such a way right now that allows Carson Beck to grow more relaxed and be more just kind of at ease as he plays the position. Not thinking too much, not being too robotic, not being too mechanical, just going out there and letting it rip. Which brings us back to the video that everybody was talking about this week from the SEC Network. Because of all the cool things about the video, all the guys who stood up and spoke, Kirby Smart's amazing speech, which is the kind of thing of like a Hollywood movie, especially the production effort on the part of the SEC Network, which was truly incredible. The moment, though, that everybody seems to really be talking about right now is about the halfway part of the shorter clip that the SEC Network shared from the larger show that's been airing on TV on the network, where in the midst of like Mike Bobo up there, like, we got to do this, and we got to do that, Carson Beck very coolly turns to the camera and winks. Now, I try on this show very hard not to do anything that doesn't work as well on podcast as it works on video because we have such great respect for our podcast audience. But for now, podcast folks, I want to play this for our video people because I want to kind of accentuate the point that I'm making. Many of you have already seen this anyway. If not, obviously, we've already put a link up this and we'll put a link there again. But I want you to watch the Carson Beck wink here because this wink is sort of like the wink heard round the world here right now. And you can go ahead and play that. This is sort of the wink heard round the world here right now. Very relaxed, very cool. Gives you a little, you play it again if you don't mind. Uh, very relaxed, very cool. Gives you a little bit of a smirk there at the end. Uh, pretty clearly in the midst of a very stressful situation, in the midst of a very you know tense moment in which some Georgia fans were wondering, okay, well, how good is Georgia really here right now? Carson Beck was cool enough, relaxed enough to look over to that camera, SEC Network, give it a little bit of a wink to the camera, and uh, just kind of rolling on. And it's amazing how Georgia fans have been kind of responding to this and the confidence that Georgia fans have in Beck. I'm not kidding here. I'm being serious. It seems to really be growing right now on the basis of that reaction. And I think there's a chance this video ends up being one of those things that perhaps propels the entire program and fan base to rally more around Carson which I think they're in the midst of doing anyway and perhaps the Georgia offense actually actually sort of builds on this and moves forward with a much higher level of success on the basis of what they learned about themselves in overcoming adversity to beat South Carolina to go back to Jake Fromm here for a moment when he joined us yesterday he also talked about some of that same kind of stuff there as well that when you look at the totality of what's happened for Georgia on offense here this season 
that it's actually a little closer to really breaking out than maybe many of us realize. And maybe that breakout moment is about to come. Here are some very hopeful and positive words from Jake on the current nature of this Georgia offense, once again from yesterday's show. It, it looks like they're just so close. It's just one third down that holds them short or, or one drop ball or one just missed deep throw. And it's, they're so close to really firing on all cylinders. But at the end of the day, they're still putting up points. I mean, so they're right there. I thought Carson played a lot better in the second half. I think they're close, but I think we would all love to see yeah. them come out to a little bit of a faster start. Perhaps that faster start comes this Saturday against UAB. I know it may sound a little bit corny, and I'm not trying to be overly hyperbolic here, but I think something about that wink may have changed things. I think Georgia fans who have been on the fence about Carson, I think they see the potential of what he can be, the kind of cool, collected leader that all quarterbacks are supposed to be. And this Georgia team that seems on the verge of really rallying around him, maybe that fully happens there on Saturday. I'm fascinated by the game against UAB. I think it's going to be quite a show to see. It's the final up, final tune-up for Georgia before things get real, real after that. And based on the video we all saw from the SEC Network this week, I think George is about ready to relax, settle in, and play some very good football. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. We are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all kinds of radio, uh, video platforms, radio, Athens Sports Radio 96 The Ref, podcast. Uh, every podcast platform you can think of, we're on them all. We're just happy to have you as a part of the program and so thankful to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp who make it all possible. Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. And I know divorce is not a fun conversation. I do get that. It's not the kind of conversation you want to have, not the kind of fun thing that you want to consider, but sometimes life isn't fun. Sometimes life is just real. And confronting reality, whatever that means for you, is an important and necessary step. But you don't have to confront that alone. If you find divorce a obvious, unavoidable, unmissable next step for you, then the best thing you can do is have a strong advocate on your side as you go through that divorce process. When I say that, I'm talking about my friends at Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. They've been through cases like this thousands of times. So that gives them expertise in the law that can be leveraged for your benefit. You want the best possible relationship with your children moving forward, the best most secure situation for your finances moving forward. All of that are kind of the offshoots of the divorce conversation. And Meriwether and Tharp is able to talk about those things and more with you, including considering some things you might not have even thought to even think about. But Meriwether and Tharp kind of that's what they think about all the time. So it's why you want to reach out and have a free initial consultation with one of those Meriwether and Tharp attorneys. The website, the Atlanta That's the Atlanta Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. And if I had to guess, our friends at Meriwether and Tharp may also be with us here coming up in November for our Dog Nation invasion on the Tennessee River because uh, Bob and Ashley and the whole gang, uh, the Tharp family, they love being a part of stuff like this. And we wish everybody could be there, of course. Right now, we know that that's not possible because we are technically sold out when it comes to our Dog Nation invasion. There is a wait list, though. You can go to dognation.com. You can get on that wait list. And if we can secure some more space, if we can kind of move some people around, uh, figure out a way to add another deck to the boat, or something like that we'll get you all on board there it's going to be an incredible time so dognation.com wait list to get on the uh, the wait list for our dog nation invasion on the tennessee river hope you get a chance to enjoy that we're going to enjoy terrence edwards on our show coming up in just a minute there as well prior to that though i do want to go around the doghouse 
It's presented today by our friends at ServPro. And I meant what I said a moment ago. I think the very fun wink from Carson Beck and the viral video from George and the SEC Network this week, I think there's some staying power to that. I think there is perhaps a little bit of confidence born out of the come-from-behind win against South Carolina and a chance for Georgia to rally around itself because it did not panic. Kirby Smart didn't peel paint off the walls. Georgia didn't wilt. Nobody got stiff. Nobody, to use Justin Fields' phrase, no one got too robotic and mechanical and kind of wilted under the pressure. Georgia, Georgia handled that. They moved forward. And now they move on to what's next. And as Georgia does that, there are also some real serious concerns for this team to kind of deal with here too because at some point in time, for Georgia to be the best team in the country, you need the Georgia offensive line to also play like the best group in the country there as well. There was a moment last year, about halfway through the season, where I looked at what I viewed as the three top national championship contenders, Alabama, Ohio State, uh, Georgia, and I said, down the stretch, the rest of the way, this was about halfway through the month of October a year ago, down the stretch, the rest of the way, which of these offensive lines plays the best? that's likely to be the team that won the national championship and I don't care what the Joe Moore award said it was the Georgia offensive line that played the best a year ago and ultimately that offensive line performance propelled Georgia to the national championship I believe there's a degree to which the same thing is kind of true here this year the best offensive lines on paper I don't know they've quite established themselves the way that we would have expected them to. Not only has Georgia had its offensive line struggles, some of that because of injury, the Alabama offensive line, which on paper was also thought to be one of the nation's best, they've actually been not very good thus far this year. Alabama fans will be more than happy to tell you about that. That's not just me saying that as a Bama troll. That's what Bama fans themselves would say. We knew the Ohio State offensive line was going to have some issues. We talked about that plenty during the offseason thus far. That's kind of been true too. So, you once again have a situation where either teams that were thought to have great offensive lines or great national contenders that we would assume would have very good offensive lines some of these groups haven't quite asserted themselves as of yet but the opportunity exists for someone to do it and obviously on this show we both hope and believe it's going to be Georgia that eventually will but you got to figure out what you're doing right now for the next few weeks while Amarius Mims is injured and on the road to recovery here and Kirby Smart used kind of an interesting phrase here this week in terms of all the shifting around and moving around that Georgia's having to do to try to find its best five here right now. Kirby is pretty candid about the kind of all-hands-on-deck mentality that exists for this Georgia offensive line. This is what he said about that on Tuesday night. Trust has worked guard and tackle just like he always has. More tackle this week. Um, Blasky has practiced, and he is a tough dude. But, he, I mean, he's hurting. I mean, he's, he's trying his best out there. And, you know, O-line is a, you know, it's a position that you might get away with a little bit of an MCL because you're not out there on space running and cutting. But, I mean, he's not 100% healthy, you know. So he's out there working Monroe's, um, working at tackle. Uh, Bo's, been, Bo's been developing, playing some at tackle. Uh, Dylan can go out and play tackle. Micah can go out and play tackle. Uh, Chad Lindbergh plays tackle. So uh, we got musical chairs. We're just trying to get it where if the next guy goes down, we can get the best guy in. I would think you would say right now, we don't exactly know who George is going to start on uh, Saturday. You know, is it going to be Blasky in there, able to go at tackle? Do you possibly consider playing him at guard? Truss, who I think got pretty good reviews at the tackle spot last week. Does he stay there this week? I think it's probably still too early to know. But the one thing you do hear from Kirby there is a lot of names being mentioned. Georgia now really forced to consider 
its second offensive line right now as it also thinks about its best top five there as well. Now, the other day, uh, Carson Beck told us that he believes that Georgia has two offensive lines, a number two group, in other words, that's capable of being a starter-level performer and capable of providing Georgia exactly what it's what it needs. That's how much confidence he also has has in Georgia's offensive line depth here right now and the guys who've been a part of that depth you better believe they believe in themselves there too because one of the guys who seemingly has kind of come from those number two backup ranks to potentially now being a starter level player for Georgia and also just a flat out starter at playing a lot during the game is Dylan Fairchild one of the names that Kirby Smart mentions perhaps at a couple of different positions but Dylan maybe sort of speaking on behalf of all of those kind of what we think of as backup offensive linemen at Georgia saying they've all we're all waiting to show how good we think we can be and how much we're capable of contributing to this Georgia offensive line right now this is what Dylan Fairchild said about that here this week very I mean we got we got plenty of guys um that could play you know I mean we got so many guys that are deserving to play and um you know we got a we got a deep line let me give you a bottom line on this discussion a great player can win you a game. That's why we hype up so many teams at the beginning of the season, and that's why eventually most of the time that hype subsides. It's because on a brief basis, a short one- or two-game stretch, a great player can win you a game, and everybody's talking about that great player. But over the course of a long season, it takes a roster to win a championship, and that's why most of the early season hype, typically for most teams, doesn't really last because most rosters can't stand up to the stress test that comes along the way as guys get injured and things happen and all of a sudden now you're digging deep into the ranks of your backups to find guys to start at positions all across the board georgia has won the last two national championships because of the strength of its roster and we're going to find out here over the course of the next few weeks is once again just how strong that roster is it doesn't take very long in this case less than a month all of a sudden be considering offensive linemen beyond just the first five you know guys that you thought were backups guys who've been here for a couple of years haven't played a ton as of yet all of a sudden, those players are in a much larger microscope now, magnified much to a greater degree uh, because they're being called into larger duty. Now, in years past, last two years in particular, this is when Georgia has showed itself how good it really is. And moving forward the rest of the way, demonstrating how good of an offensive line Georgia can be when it's having to dig deep to kind of move guys around and do some shuffling to find its best five, that's the opportunity that exists for Georgia here once again. And that is around the doghouse presented today by our friends at serve pro and of course georgia going through a little bit of an issue what feels like on the football field anyway a little bit of a crisis when it comes to its offensive line but in your own life there are far larger crises than that you may be dealing with fire damage to your home or water intrusion perhaps to a piece of commercial property a business that you own well anytime you've got that kind of cleanup issue to deal with uh the thing that you want is for it to all be put back together and put back together like it never even happened that's what our friends at Serpro are all about they are restoration specialists that means they can restore your situation your rental property the home that you live in the commercial property that you house your business in whatever type of thing we're talking about here their restoration specialists can always put it all back together like it never even happened that's what Serpro is all about each franchise also independently owned and operated there as well that means you're doing business with someone who's got just as much of a vested interest in the outcome as you do yourself so please find them online it's servpro.com that's s-e-r-v servpro.com to find out more about that today all right before we're done on today's show the biggest game of the weekend the one involving notre dame and ohio state believe it or not 
Georgia's actually been a topic for both those teams here this week, which I think gives you an idea of just how large a shadow the dogs cast right now. Before we're done today, we'll talk more about that. But for now, on everything about where Georgia is and possibly where it could go from here in the next few weeks, a guy who certainly has plenty to say on that topic, it's the former Georgia wide receiver Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to Terrence Edwards. And Terrence, obviously I know how outspoken you were over the weekend about what you currently think about this Georgia offense and what it's capable of doing from here. We clearly want to hear a lot from you about that today. But if you don't mind, prior to that, you know, we were talking about the offensive line a moment ago and some of the issues that Georgia's faced along the offensive line really uh, set up because of injury. Amarius Mims is going to be out here for a few weeks. And Mims, who I think is kind of a first-round talent, gives you an idea of the substantial level of talent that Georgia has right now on its current injury list. Not only is it a long list of names, these are kind of bold print names for Georgia right now. Uh, how big of a concern is you, are, are the injuries for you? Obviously, Georgia won't use this as an excuse, but you know this does sort of set itself up to be a little bit of a reason for pause if you're a UGA fan. Is the injury list getting too long for Georgia yet? Well, it's always a concern when you have a lot of pencil-in starters that's on this list, but you got to go back to the way Kirby has recruited. Um, he has brought depth to this team, so uh, it's a concern, but also if you look at it, that these guys that are, are starting now is getting valuable minutes that will probably help down the line once the, you get really into the meat of the schedule. Um, we could go into UAB this week and, and, and win with, with our backups, but once you get to the Tennessee, the Floridas, you're going to need all your top players, your pencil and starters ready for those games. You can't play football too carefully, of course, but there's a part of me that almost wonders, well, given how long the injury list is, given the fact that Georgia's on the road next week at Auburn, is this one of those days on Saturday where Georgia just wants to get in, get out, and try not to add any more names to this list? Because you know there does come a point which – hey, you've got so many injuries that it really does negatively impact your overall level of play. I don't know if Georgia's to that point yet or not. I guess the next few weeks will tell us. But in terms of how Georgia plays on Saturday, do you believe they will either consider or possibly need to play more carefully because of just how substantial the injury list is at the moment? I don't think you could go out and just play careful. I think you got to go out and play football. Football is a dangerous game. Uh, injuries happen. <clears throat> you never know when the injury is going to occur. I mean, just look at Travis Hunter over the, this weekend. That was an unstripped uh, injury where the guy took a hit at him and took a, and now he's out for three weeks. So uh, how careful was he playing in that game? So we got a lot to work on, so we can't go into this game trying to be careful. Um, one of the biggest concerns that I've had right now, I've been very boisterous on my social media, is the red zone offense. Like, we yeah. have to go into this game right now and executing the red zone. Moving the football, if you just look at the stats and look down to it, we're 13, 14 play drives. We are moving the football. Our third down conversion has been pretty good. So all this hate, Carson Beck hate, we are moving the football. We just haven't had the scoring rate touchdown-wise that I like. Uh, we missed two field goals this past weekend. We got to get seven. So whatever that is, whatever that in turn, we got to do a better job in the red zone 
uh, operation. That's my biggest takeaway from last week's game. All right, let's move into that because I think that's an important point to talk about. And let me use kind of a, a segue to Carson Beck as a way of doing that. I think for Beck thus far this season, he's certainly been more good than not. I think he's shown you some glimpses of why this Georgia coaching staff has had so much confidence in him. And yet I would also add to that that he hasn't quite yet had the sort of breakout moment that allows everybody to rally around him. I kind of somewhat half-kiddingly, half-seriously said a moment ago, the wink in the uh, SEC Network video this week may have been the kind of thing that sort of reminds you that he's got the potential swagger to be the kind of quarterback that can lead. There's a little bit of a Stetson Bennett-ish vibe to that to me and in terms of you know Stetson who had you know sometimes a lot of swagger as the Georgia quarterback the last you know couple of uh, years. How do you see things progressing for Carson right now? And do you think there's a chance against UAB, which ironically was a team that uh, Stetson Bennett put up huge numbers against a couple of years ago. Do you think this final tune-up game for Georgia before it goes on the road in the SEC, do you think this could be the game in which Carson really breaks out in a huge way and settles all doubt and discussion about him being the guy to lead Georgia where it wants to go? Well, I, I believe, in my opinion, I have to push back a little bit. I think his breakout moment was the second half okay. of the South Carolina game. I okay. think if you look at his stats, I think it was 12 for 17, about 150 yards um, in the rain. Um, he would have led his team on six straight scoring possession or something like that. Don't quote me on my stats. So I think he did exactly what I would l- like for him to do for four quarters in the second half versus an SEC opponent. Down 11 points. You got a quarterback that's starting his first SEC game in that type of environment, and he went and performed in that second half like I think I've seen and all the coaches have seen um, him do. So I think that was a, a pivotal moment for him and, and his confidence going into UAB next week then against the Auburn game. And I think Auburn is on the road, and that is one of the hardest places to play down in Auburn. So I think the second half was a confidence booster for him, a confidence booster for this team. And that's the team that we have been looking for offensively and defensively. So the type of performance, only for a half that I could see catapulting Carson to where we all think he could do it. If we could do that for four quarters, then that's the quarterback that we all would, would love and, and like to see. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a very good point, and I'm, I'm happy to hear you share your perspective on that, Terrence. And I guess to add to that a little bit, that if, if you know, and I think a lot of people probably agree with you, that if you're right, that the actual breakout for Carson came last week in the second half against South Carolina, how important then do you think it is to now build off that and now start the game against UAB, something that Georgia really hasn't done as well the last you know three games, at least in terms of scoring points. How important is to kind of take the momentum from last week's second half into the first week against, uh, I should say, into the first half against UAB and kind of finally get off to the fast start that every Georgia fan wants to see the uh, dogs have? Oh, it's very important. I think it, it's, we have to start off fast next week. And I think a lot of the, the people say fast starts, but if we we get that first possession, we go three. Now, if you just look at the game last week, I think we only got one possession in the first quarter. With the new time change and the two time rules, you're very limited on possession. So you have to go out and score some type of points. You have to go out and move the ball and control the clock and try to limit their possession. So um, that this team go out off 
uh, offensively that we move the football. We move the football, and once we get into the red zone, we have to score seven. We can't rely on a freshman kicker right now who missed two field goals on the 40 yeah. yards uh, to score points. We have to get a confidence. If we put a 13-14 play drive, we have to score seven points. So I think almost every Georgia fan is going to agree with you on that, being more aggressive down there in the scoring area, taking those chances that result in touchdowns because you can't count on field goals right now, and plus selling for field goals not really a recipe for success anyway. I think almost every Georgia fan would agree with you on that. How about the other part of this? And I've been specifically asked to ask you about this. We also talked to Jake Fromm about this yesterday. The kind of big shot plays, you know, explosive plays, that make a trip to the red zone unnecessary, right? You know, the kind of, you know, deep shots downfield that sometimes allow you to score before you even get inside the 20. Why do you think there haven't been more of that uh, for Georgia here thus far this year? Um, that's one thing I, I've been big on social media that, like, we don't know the play call. We don't know the progression reads. We don't know where he's been told to look. So we've been a real – offense right now haven't had that many explosive plays but last week Ra Ra Thomas did have an explosive play um, in that second half that kind of helped us get into the scoring uh, opportunity but I don't know I don't know why we he has a big enough arm to push the football downfield Um, so I would love to see us take those shots I think we have the speed on the outside with C.J. Smith who's coming on with Arian Smith, who's coming on. And Ra-Ra Thomas is definitely has been a player that I've been impressed with the last two weeks of being able to make downfield uh, catches. So we have to play to get explosive plays, um, but also find ways to limit mistakes. And that's what we've done so far. What I've been impressed with is the, the, the mistakes that he hasn't made. I think the one turnover that he does have is, I think the receiver fault, it was tipped off his hands. But he's been very careful with the football. Um, that's coming from the top, honestly. I don't know that for a fact, but I believe that's coming from the top. But as he continues to, to grow, we all got to – this is his third start in four years. So I think as the season goes along, as Kirby gets real comfortable with pushing the ball downfield, I think we will. Uh, shifting gears here off the top of the show I talked about the fact that Saturday is Kirby Smart's 100th game as Georgia's head coach and it's remarkable to think a how quickly this 100 games is going to pass it seems like just yesterday we were doing 93k day uh, G day 2016 now all of a sudden Kirby Smart's actually a pretty veteran coach and the other part of this is is that through 100 games you can very easily say perhaps no one's been more successful through his first 100 games as a head coach and perhaps no one's had a more successful start in an SEC coaching career than what Kirby Smart has had. I kind of joke about the fact that Kirby doesn't seem to like talking about that kind of stuff very much. But I do believe it's appropriate to consider just how amazing this is. For Georgia fans, we ought to be appreciative of it. It's been an incredible uh, run and so entertaining and really just kind of a, a, a wonderful experience. But also for those of us who like sports, the history of sports, we are seeing a historic career playing out in front of us, and it could result when it's all said and done and smart very rightly being mentioned certainly alongside any coach that's ever coached if not ahead of any coach that's ever coached you can't really overstate just how successful the start of kirby smart's career has been can you i'm gonna say this right here right now everyone can hear me we all love he's the pioneer he's 
he is just unbelievable as a person. I got to know him very well since he was the AD, the whole Dooley family. Uh, everyone knows how I feel about Coach Rick. Everybody knows that. But if Kirby stopped coaching today, he is the best coach in Georgia history. He is the best coach in Georgia history, and I'm going to say that with my chest out. I believe that, what he's done to this program. He has really put us back in the national event, one of the elite programs year in and year out. And it's just remarkable what he's done at his school, at his alma mater. And that is, I think, um, it's even more special that he's, he's doing it at the school that he grew up loving, grew up playing for, and now he's the head coach at the school and he's been able to achieve what he's achieved in a short period of time. Right now, I believe, greatest coach in Georgia history. No, I think that's a very fair statement. When you look at just the uh, level of success that he's enjoyed in the time that he has been here, I think that's a uh, very fair statement. And the flip side of that is, I was doing a little bit of the math while you're talking. So I think if Kirby were sitting here, and if we could really convince him to have this conversation, which you'd have to really twist his arm to do, but if we could really convince him to have this conversation, I think the thing that he would probably acknowledge about Coach Dooley's legacy is that even though Smart's got, what, two SEC championships, another four to get to Dooley's six is still a pretty big accomplishment. Now, do I believe that Kirby will get there? Yeah, I do. But getting to six SECs is is a pretty big accomplishment. And this will be his 85th win on Saturday, assuming that it comes. Dooley had 201 in his career. So if I'm doing the back of the napkin math on this correct, that's basically almost 12 wins a season for the next 10 years to get to the Dooley mark of 201, which I also believe that Kirby will get there. The The stretch of success through 100 games would lead you to believe that anything is possible. And yet, it's a little bit like the Tiger Woods-Jack Nicholas thing of the better Tiger did, the more you realized how substantial the Nicholas accomplishments were. I think there is some of this that's also in play here, too, that as Kirby Smart kind of knocks off these milestones year after year after year, you'll start to realize, wow, the longevity of Coach Dooley's success really is pretty cool and pretty amazing because 201 wins, six SEC championships, that's still really hard to do, even if Kirby Smart is on his way to potentially being the best of all time. Oh, most definitely. Uh, like I said, we, we all admire Coach Dooley. He is... <clears throat> Georgia football. That's why his name is on the field, Dooley Field. And uh, what he's done and what he did for our program on and off the field is something that none of us would sneeze about. We are grateful for the great man, uh, Vince Dooley. Grateful yeah. for it. But I just believe Kirby right now, especially if he fit, he stays on the trajectory that he's on, I still believe today that if he stops, uh, I, I still would put him number one. Uh, because of, I mean, the time yeah. is different. A lot of things is different that he has to deal with than other coaches yep. didn't have to deal with. So you have to add to an account of, of those. And I just remember one thing he told me that sticks with me. And this is Kirby Smart. It says, with the way we are now in the transfer portal, and especially transfer portal, you have to re-recruit your own players in the season, try to convince them to stay because someone is in their ear telling them they should leave, they should do all this. So you got to go re-recruit these players over to convince them to stay. And I think had that. Had to deal with the things that he's dealing. I know times has changed, and 
Uh, Coach Duda had things that he had to deal with. Coach Trick had things. But recruiting your own players, knowing that they can just up and transfer after six months is, is crazy to me. But he's dealing with a different time, and he's de- he's dealing with it very well. And that's why I put him at the top right now. No, I think that's a really strong take, Terrence. I really like that. On a much less happy note to close things out, you know, we all saw Monday night the horrific injury that Nick Chubb suffered. Uh, and we've seen the outpouring of support both from within inside, inside Dog Nation on that, but also the football world at large. You know, as a player yourself, you know, what what does Nick Chubb mean to you? A guy who clearly plays the game the right way, has been through a horrific injury recovery before, came out on the other side, I believe, just as good, if not better than he was before. Now being asked to do that again, it seems incredibly unfair. It was obviously a kind of a grotesque scene in terms of the injury that he suffered on Monday Night Football, but we all wish Nick the best in his recovery. From your perspective in particular, though, as a former player, what does it mean when you watch Nick getting ready to kind of go on this journey again of having to come back from a very tough injury? We've seen this movie before. We've seen that this young man has the, has the perseverance to go out and just do the things that a lot of people, including myself, wouldn't have the mental toughness to do. Coming back from the, the first knee injury and still being the Nick Chubb that we all know, um, having watched my brother go to something a yeah. little different, um, and I know how hard he worked to get back, and it was never the same. And Nick coming back and being the Nick Chubb that we all love, it's, it's, I'm saddened for him, but if anybody can get through this situation, it's Nick Chubb. So, I'm happy if it had to happen to anyone, it happened to him, because we all know how hard that young man worked, and he will come back and ask him to be even better. So you know, I pray for the young man. I, um, I don't know if my brother reached out to him yet. Yeah. Again, I know they talked a lot with the first injury. Um, I just know just from what Robert went through, I know how hard it is hard Nick works and what his heart is that he will overcome this again has your brother ever said you know obviously and people I think know his story but if for younger folks who don't this is a first round pick New England Patriots he's at the Pro Bowl has a really freak injury and kind of like a a flag football game in the sand right Terrence it's just the strangest thing in the world that uh that led to this really kind of career altering injury for him has he ever said modern technology medical science being where it is now would that same injury have been as devastating for him if it happened in 2023 as if it was back what back 1998 I guess it would have been has he ever talked much about in terms of how the medical science has changed the particular injury that he dealt with no we, we he never spoke about the modern day uh, medicine and all the things that we have now that we didn't have back then um with the, the the main thing that Robert had to deal with is was his artery Mm-hmm. And that was the the, the, the MCLP said all that we could come back for, but once he didn't have full control okay. of his nerve nervous system, uh, that was the biggest thing to trying to get his nerves and his artery to to start firing up again, and that was the biggest obstacle that he had to face. And I don't know what modern medicine now that they have can get those nerves firing back again like normal, but. Um, I just didn't just think about BA like just what if what if yeah he didn't have this injury what his career would no look doubt. like and I think and I you know and he's a man of God he don't question why 
I think God put him in a spot to go and coach football and impact young men. And I don't know if he would have been a high school coach impacting young mm. men if we'd have had that 10 to 12 year career. I don't know what his life would have been like, but this is what he was called to do. And he's not going to question what God has put in front of him because he's impacting young men, young men's life. Win or lose doesn't matter. He's, he's, he's helping, um, young men become better people in this society. Uh, Terrence, that's a great perspective. I really appreciate you sharing that. We love having you on the show here each and every week. And for people who want you know, more of you on social media, had some great thoughts on the game uh, last Saturday, but you're also talking about the wide receivers that you're working with as a part of the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. If people want to connect with you, how can they do so? Yes, um, you can find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, appreciate your time. We'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think that Terrence is right. Uh, I do believe that Kirby Smart's the best coach in Georgia football history. I I believe that's true today. And I think the point that I would make to kind of like mitigate against that a little bit is that if you only judge Coach Dooley on the basis of one national championship, in other words, if you make it, well, Kirby's got two national championships and Vince Dooley's got one, therefore Kirby's the better coach. I think Kirby is the best coach in Georgia history, but I do believe that's the wrong way to look at Vince Dooley. There was a period of time in the sport, and this is kind of hard for many of us to understand because we perhaps weren't old enough to fully appreciate it, but there was a period of time in the sport in which the national championship wasn't really that much of a thing in college football. You know, kind of pre-BCS, certainly pre-college football playoff, this sport was fairly content not to have much of a structure around deciding who won its national championships. Everybody in college football was seemingly kind of content with that. And so you've got these situations where, you know, an SID many years later goes back and pencil whips the rest of the country and kind of gives Alabama a handful of, like, paper national championships. Does that make Bear Bryant a better coach? I, I, I don't know that it does. Bear Bryant's already a great coach, even as a kind of an Alabama hater. I'm not going to dispute Bear Bryant's status as a, as a truly all-time great coach. I'm just saying that the national championships as kind of the end-all, be-all for the argument of guys who coach in a very different era of college football, I think that's a little bit of a mistake. And as Smart compiles more and more success in his future, and we obviously believe he's kind of only just getting started, I think one of the things that will be good about that is is it will cause us to consider just how significant the Dooley resume is even apart from the one national championship. Getting the national title, obviously, to most of us is the kind of punctuation mark that validates career. Rightly or wrongly, that's just kind of how sports fans treat coaches, players, things like that. Hey, did you win a ring? Do you have a championship? Guys who don't, a la Charles Barkley, are kind of always remembered that way. Guys who do, guys who win several of them, they kind of get put into a different category. That's just kind of the way that it goes. So Dooley kind of has the validation of having won a national championship, but the real story of who he is as a coach is six SEC championships and 201 career wins. Kirby Smart's going to be at 85 if he wins on Saturday. But as I said before, to get to 201, if I did the math correctly, and there's always a chance that I didn't, you know, that's like 12 wins a season for the next 10 years to get to that 201 mark. And it's easy to say, oh, yeah, just pencil him in. Kirby wins 12 games every year. But uh, uh, but doing that for another 10 years, that's a whole other decade. That's If it was that easy, more people would be doing it than just Kirby Smart. And, you know, by the way, you know, even just coaching for a long time 
gets to be kind of a hard thing. You know, Vince Dooley was the head coach of Georgia for 25 years. I hope Kirby Smart's the coach of Georgia for at least that long. He's certainly young enough that he could be. But life is also kind of a weird thing sometimes where, I don't know, if you gave me, you know, all the freedom in the world to sort of pontificate, hypothesize about how the Smart era eventually comes to an end, obviously of his own choosing, how he chooses for it to end and when that's going to occur I'm, I'm honestly not sure i'm honestly not sure uh obviously i hope it goes on for decades and decades and decades and i guess in a roundabout way i sort of believe that it will but as he accomplishes more and more things i think we'll come to realize just how hard it is to get 201 career wins and just how significant six career sec championships are so bottom line here terrence edwards is right kirby smart's the best coach in the history of georgia football 85 games i think is enough for him to prove that but the resume of Vince Dooley is one that should not be shortchanged, not by a long shot. So with that said, we'll get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I'll quickly remind you, big things going on with Royal Caribbean, perhaps in 2024, none bigger than the Dog Nation cruise, because it's bigger and better than it's ever been before. RoyalDogs.com, the website to go to to find out about the information about Allure of the Seas, the great Oasis-class ship that we're going to be on, uh, leaving out of Port Canaveral, going to Nassau in the Bahamas. Perfect day, Coco Cay. you got to understand, any Royal Caribbean cruise vacation I take, I'm going to want Perfect Day Coco K to be a part of that because Perfect Day Coco K is exclusive for those on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And there's so many fun new things happening at Perfect Day Coco K. Some great, uh, really cool add-ons that make that island so much more fun to enjoy. You should check that out from our friends at Royal Caribbean just on your own. But please know that uh, we're going to have a great time on board Allure of the Seas for our Dog Nation cruise. So go to RoyalDogs.com and please be a part of it this upcoming April. All right, let's take a couple of uh, looks here at some of the things happening around the SEC. So here's what I'm going to do. Tomorrow, we're going to give you final thoughts on really the biggest Saturday, perhaps, of the entire season here. When I was a kid, like younger, like teenager, college, remember when ESPN, I don't think they do this kind of stuff anymore. Uh, too busy to talk about the NBA, I guess. But um, ESPN used to like have these like graphics and like these themes, Showdown Saturday. Do you remember Showdown Saturday? They'd have like the idea that the weekend has a theme. I don't know that ESPN still does this, but this is a really cool kind of showdown Saturday type weekend. Now, Georgia's not a part of this at all. The Georgia's playing UAB, of course. But, you know, Ohio State, uh, Notre Dame, Alabama, Ole Miss, Clemson, Florida State. These are great, fun games. And so tomorrow, we'll give you our final thoughts on all of these big games as we kind of roll into the weekend. But for today, as a setup for that, I want to give you the undercard here for a moment because I think the sort of mid-card, undercard for Saturday is also really good too. I want to focus in on a couple of SEC teams that I think are in something close to like sort of must-win territory. Now, this is kind of a different level of must-win, but I think it's must-win territory in a roundabout way for both these programs, starting with Texas A&M. Now, spoiler alert here, I think A&M could be in some real trouble against Auburn. I think Hugh Freeze is a better coach than Jimbo Fisher is. I think that while Auburn's clearly got its issues, its close win at Cal demonstrates this is far from a perfect team. I think that Texas A&M is a little bit of a mess. And the impact that Bobby Petrino was supposed to have as offensive coordinator, I don't know that we're seeing that as of yet. Uh, they are a favorite against Auburn on Saturday, but I think that Auburn's going to come in there and give Texas A&M everything that it wants, be very competitive in this game, at least closer than the experts think, if not on their way to a possible outright win. And if Jimbo Fisher loses this, at that point in time, on the heels of a Miami loss a couple of Saturdays ago, 
the Fisher era is essentially over. We could see a lot of coaching turnover in the SEC this offseason. I believe that's a possibility. The Jimbo Fisher buyout is huge, but the financial penalty of watching Texas enter the SEC next year with more momentum on the field than you have, that's a potentially even worse financial penalty than the huge buyout that you'd have to pay to Jimbo Fisher. Texas A&M simply can't afford to have that happen. They've got to have some excitement on the field, some energy around their program, and Jimbo Fisher right now is providing none of that. And clearly this is one of those things that I got way wrong. I thought A&M was justified in spending big to bring in a national championship winning coach. I thought they would eventually see some dividends because of that investment. But honestly, I don't know there's anything in college football in the last, you know, let's just say the 21st century. I don't know that there's anything in college football in the 21st century that feels more like a fluke than Jimbo leading Florida State to a 2013 national title right now. I I didn't know this at the time, but it seems obvious here in the moment that he has had almost no ability to kind of replicate that success ever again. He didn't make the playoff the following year at Florida State, but a year after that, they kind of completely fallen apart. And moving that to A&M has not worked at all and so if he loses on Saturday you can essentially go ahead and start thinking about a coaching search for Texas A&M I believe and I do think that Texas A&M could be in some trouble against Auburn another SEC team that I think is in a little bit of a must-win situation although not to the same degree that Texas A&M is and no threat to his coaching tenure I think that Shane Beamer's doing a really good job at South Carolina I thought he had the Gamecocks really ready to play against Georgia on Saturday Shane Beamer deserves some credit for that but this is the hard thing about the SEC and it's a cliche, but things become a cliche because of how true they are. That sometimes you can show improvement that's not really reflected in your one loss record. And I do believe that South Carolina is a program on the rise, but the challenge for Beamer in terms of keeping people happy, because SEC fans just, you know, they have high expectations. Uh, The challenge that Beamer has is putting together a one loss record that reflects the overall positive momentum of the program I believe it exists I believe it's real for South Carolina but I also believe that just given the nature of how hard it is when the SEC you know that it's kind of tough sometimes to have a win-loss record that reflects what's perhaps happening internally for your program and that's why Saturday's game against Mississippi State I think for South Carolina is really important Gamecocks are favored we expect them to win but we also sometimes see the teams the week after playing a very physical football team oftentimes don't play their best. Uh, that could be true for South Carolina the week after playing a team like Georgia. Plus, when you have a halftime lead, when you think perhaps you could be on your way to winning the game, when that doesn't quite work out, can you find the same level of emotion the following Saturday there as well? That seems like a real question, too. Gamecocks are at home. They're taking on Mississippi State. I've told you before, I believe that Zach Arnett is very likely one and done. Uh, I believe that Mississippi State was in a tough situation. They made the best of that moment. They promoted Arnett. Arnett's trying to permeate the rest of the program with the tough-minded defensive mentality that he has. But it's just simply too much of a change to try to undergo too quickly. It is destined, I think, to be a spectacular failure. And even though Arnett's been named as the permanent coach of Mississippi State, I believe they will have to move on from him at the end of the season. So understanding that as the backdrop, this is the kind of game in which South Carolina needs to be careful. I believe it will. I believe it will win the game. But be careful if you're South Carolina on Saturday with Mississippi State coming in. Another SEC game kind of on the undercard that I do think uh, is worth following here this weekend. It's LSU hosting Arkansas. Two things happening here. LSU's statement went against um, 
against Arkansas, I should say against Mississippi State last week, was the kind of thing that established, I believe, some real momentum for the program. LSU last week showed you what it is capable of being, that the loss to Florida State is is not one of these uh, types of things that kind of votes LSU off the island here at the beginning of the season no not not by a long shot Florida State's a very good team LSU lost the game LSU has regrouped since then they've been on quite a hot streak since then the Mississippi State game last week certainly an example of that uh, and now against Arkansas on Saturday my my expectation is is that LSU kind of runs through them here once again I think that Sam Pittman's in kind of a tough spot here right now the loss to BYU last week was not a good one you got to be very careful here in terms of not letting this get too sideways too fast but I do believe that LSU is a really good team so I think there's some intrigue here with what's going to go on with LSU in Arkansas my expectation is is that LSU continues to show that it is among the national elite and quite possibly the class of the SEC West much the way that it was a year ago and for Sam Pittman in Arkansas they need what they can get good play where they can find it wins when they can keeping losses close when possible if you're Sam Pittman in Arkansas, you need to be very careful on Saturday. I'll also briefly mention this, and I mention this for the simple reason that the Georgia schedule, we're kind of left to wonder how it, the perception of it evolves over the course of time. One of the games that could be more interesting for Georgia when it's eventually played is the game against Missouri. Missouri, of course, won last week against reigning Big 12 champion Kansas Day, playing Memphis here this week, but it sounds like Brady Cook, the quarterback for Missouri, is questionable here in this particular game if he doesn't play Sam Horn who of course we know from Collins Hill High School throwing touchdowns to uh, to Travis Hunter he will be the guy that steps in and plays in place of Cook but I mean I think there are a lot of people will tell you that Missouri should be ranked the top 25 right now and Memphis if they can win the backup quarterback on Saturday then you're looking at the Tigers probably in the top 25 I'm guessing and they've still got to play LSU before they play Georgia so they could fall back out again but right now of the games on the Georgia schedule that perhaps look a little bit more interesting and maybe just a slightly a little bit tougher than they would have appeared on paper before the season began I would say the Missouri game is perhaps in that category here right now and then I'll very quickly mention this Michigan has had a very quiet start to the season it's kind of interesting that you know we think about Georgia kind of being off the radar not much being said about you know Georgia and you know Georgia hasn't quite yet had its showcase game let the nation know just how good that it is but the other team that got tons of hype during the offseason and some of that we kind of mocked and made fun of uh but the other team that got you know tons of hype during the offseason Michigan when's the last time you heard anybody on the national level talk about Michigan at all yet this season obviously we've kind of come out of the Jim Harbaugh suspension you know they're getting ready to play uh their first Big Ten game against Rutgers on Saturday uh, Rutgers is you know not not terrible team right now but obviously not a very good team either but the point is it's much like Georgia's kind of waiting to kind of reintroduce itself to the country with a big game here at some point in time Michigan's kind of the same way and so we'll see what Big Ten play provides the Wolverines in that regard as uh, Michigan after a very very weak non-conference late to begin the year starts to step up a little bit here into some more um I don't want to say even competition because that's not what Rutgers is, but at least a little higher level of play here moving forward will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal 
Caribbean. Uh, also, before we move on here, I want to get back to Georgia in a moment. Let me give a, a shout out to the folks at AquaGuard here for a moment because uh, AquaGuard uh, going to be able to take good care of you when it comes to some very important things right now. If you see like moldy crawl space down in your home, I want you to understand that moldy crawl space can cause musty odors and sinking floors, and that can be a real problem there for your house. But that's where our friends at AquaGuard can step in with a nationally backed warranty uh, that gives the ultimate protection for your home against water, foundation damage, and then uh, uh, all kinds of other things there as well. Because here in Georgia, the ground conditions here sometimes kind of create the kind of issue that would make a company like AquaGuard uh, you know, possibly a, a good solution for you. Uh, the foundation of your home is perhaps maybe the most important thing that you're going to uh, have to consider when it comes to your home there. So trust our friends at AquaGuard for a whole lot more on that. Uh, then come out and take a look and tell you what you need to uh, consider. It's AquaGuard.net for more on that. It's AquaGuard.net for more on that. All right, let's uh, transition here. Back to Georgia football. And I think it's interesting. As I said before, we're going to close out tomorrow's show by talking about all the really big national games on the horizon. The biggest of them all is the game between Notre Dame and Ohio State. And it's really interesting to me that in this big game, Irish, Buckeyes, both these programs have sort of had Georgia on their mind here a, a little bit here this week. Uh, Ohio State still whining about the Peach Bowl win for Georgia against the Buckeyes that, you know, obviously Marvin Harrison Jr., the terrific wide receiver, got injured during the game. You hate to see that, but no one on the Georgia side is to blame for that. Officials made the correct call and uh, allowing it to be a play on, a play that stood. Uh, Javon Bullard making a terrific play to to result in a you know prevent a touchdown from being scored it was the right call it was the good it was a good play it was an unfortunate circumstance and it resulted in a marvin harrison jr injury but buckeyes folks apparently can't let it go their administration and coaches acting like nothing more than message board posters for the most part uh during this offseason in the sort of a ceaseless attempt to embarrass themselves uh gene smith the latest the ohio state athletic director he was quoted this week uh by ross dellinger the uh reporter for yahoo i'll show this on the screen uh, so Iowa State's getting ready to play Notre Dame. You'd think their attention would be on that, except Dellinger quotes Gene Smith as saying this week, we could have won a national championship last year if they'd have let Marvin Harrison play, but he had a bad hit. He says that's oversight. Now, I honestly don't know the context of all of this, but the idea that Gene Smith is still whining about Marvin Harrison Jr., very much in keeping with the uh, whininess of uh, Ryan Day, the whininess of Ohio State fans. There was a lot to dislike but the Ohio State Buckeyes, and it starts straight at the top. You can obviously see that there from Gene Smith. But believe it or not, it's not just the Ohio State side that's also thinking a lot about this game on Saturday. The Notre Dame side's apparently thinking the same stuff there too because the game on Saturday between the Buckeyes and the Irish is also in South Bend at Notre Dame Stadium. Now, it was six years ago that Georgia completely took the place over, unlike anything we'd ever seen in college football before. And apparently, according to a story this week at The Athletic, Notre Dame is quite intent on making sure that doesn't happen again. Trying to figure out some way to do that. I want to show you a quote from the story here. This is from the subscription site known as The Athletic. The game was a classic with Georgia escaping with a 2019 win when Notre Dame's last gasp drive ended with a strip sack. But, The Athletic says, beyond the loss, the optics for the Irish were a disaster. 
as a lucrative red wave took over the stadium, bringing back memories of Nebraska's visit to Notre Dame Stadium 17 years earlier. Georgia fans serenaded with the dogs with hail to George at the start of the fourth quarter, phone flashlights in hand. We all remember that. It was a great scene. I was very, very proud to be a part of that. One of the best sporting memories I'll ever have. And the purpose of the story at the, at the Athletic is – is the uh, folks at Notre Dame are like, we got to make sure this doesn't happen again, that Ohio State fans don't take over our stadium the same way that Georgia fans did back in 2017. So it's a huge game. It's two of the biggest brands in all the college football. And both Notre Dame and Ohio State this week have both kind of had Georgia on their minds, which gives you a little bit of idea of just how large a shadow that Georgia casts over the entire sport right now, including the uh, very best and games very biggest programs Georgia's still a very prominent factor in their minds even before they both get ready to play a very big game on Saturday one more shout out before we wrap up here today that if you've got a loved one that's been hurt or injured in an accident or you yourself have had the same thing uh, happen to you when that goes down you want to be made whole you want to be properly compensated for what you deal with and that's where our friends at Jay Stein Law Firm become an important name to know because not only is Josh Stein double dog UJ Law School graduate two-time graduate of the University of Georgia he's also got more than 20 years experience handling injury cases perhaps just like the one that you may need to go through here right now some of these firms gigantic and to them you're just a number you're just a file you're just a name uh, they don't have any like true consideration of what you're all about but that's not going to be true with Josh Stein and the folks over the J Stein Law Firm they're going to treat you with the personal care that you deserve in the situation that you might be going through a fellow dog helping other dogs in a time of need that's what the josh stein folks are all about j stein law firm find them online j that's j for more on that all right a couple of golden shoes to give you on the way out the door here today uh start with josh stevens now josh said this to me a couple of days ago and sometimes i uh kind of get a little lost in my uh, twitter mention so i did not see this but i did see it today which i was glad i did because josh deserves a great shout out for this he says my firstborn was born today he came out uh beaten south carolina uh that's awesome to hear he says he needs a golden shoe for a birthday present hashtag newborn dog josh stevens hashtag to uh, not hashtag but congratulations to you for sure a golden shoe well deserved indeed we uh, just are so proud of you, Josh, and we always appreciate when folks share good news with us. So a well-deserved golden shoe for you and your family and your firstborn son who's already seen a big dog's win. you love to see that, Josh. Well-deserved indeed. And finally, a little bit of funny, if not perhaps a little bit mean on my part. The SEC Network shared this on Twitter this week, a picture from uh, the folks at Transfer Portal on Twitter. So it's Nick Saban speaking to his team at the uh, locker room halftime of the game against South Florida. And there's an Alabama staffer having to hold a water cooler in place so Saban can stand on it and address the team, which the joke here from the SEC network and the transfer portal is the guy with the job of kind of holding Saban steady on this water cooler, which is probably a pretty pressure-packed job. But am I rude if we talk for like two seconds about the fact that Nick Saban needs to stand on a water cooler for his team to see him? Saban, what, five foot nothing, however tall that he is. <laughs> like if you want to get an idea of a guy who's just a little bit short, uh, the fact that he's having to stand on the water cooler to be seen by his team, eh, that's maybe not the image you quite want. It's not been a very good year for the Saban mystique. And this uh, picture of having to stand on a water cooler to be seen by the people in the back of the room uh, that may be kind of the latest, I guess, uh, blemish on the Alabama legacy here right now of Nick Saban. Tough scene there from both the SEC Network and uh, Transfer Portal on Twitter. So 
With that said, we'll give you a Gator Hater countdown on the way out the door here. We will remind you that the dogs will be back in Jacksonville coming up. Is it 38 days from now? Let's see. We have a Gator Hater countdown today? Maybe not. Uh, either way, we'll be back in Jacksonville coming up. 30-something days. We'll be there, and we will see you then. Yeah, there we go. 37 days from right now, our Gator Hater countdown. We will see you there for that, and we'll see you back here tomorrow at Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp.